The healthcare industry has undergone transformational change in the past 10 years, especially as it relates to the implementation of technology. Even so, there's much more to do and many companies are out there doing it, but you don't know about them. At Intrepid Healthcare, our podcast will bring you the crazy ones, the rebels, the troublemakers, the ones who see things differently. The people that are crazy enough to think they can change the world in healthcare. So sit tight and enjoy as we tell the story of another thought leading trailblazer. Welcome back to Intrepid Healthcare. I'm your host, Joe Lavelle, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation today with another trailblazing innovator. We're going to get right to it. Today, we're joined by Dr. Gary Levin, Medical Director of Heal Pros. Dr. Levin, welcome to the show. Good morning, Joe. Thanks so much for making the time to be here today. Before we start our discussion, could you take a few seconds and tell the audience about you and your background? Yes, I'd be glad to. Originally, I was conceived as an ophthalmologist who was involved with eye surgery, and then I got my interest turned to health information technology. About 10 years ago, I helped develop a regional health information exchange, which turned around to be modestly successful, and then uh, became very active in other health IT issues. Uh, and then I actually became a medical clinical advisor for a televideo medicine company called HealPros. Perfect, and that's a perfect segue. Could you spend a couple minutes and tell us about what you do at HealPros? HealPros is kind of a unique televideo solution, not so much in how it works, but in its mission. HealPros is a HIPAA-compliant televideo solution which takes images in the patient's homes and sends them directly to an ophthalmologist elsewhere to read them after they've been scanned and file a report on what their findings are. Diabetes, diabetic patients are supposed to have annual retinal photography every year, but we have found that 50 to 80% of them do not get that test done. The test is recommended by the AMA and the American Academy of Ophthalmology. As a result of the 50 to 80% of people who don't get those studies done, they, many, a large percentage will go on to develop severe diabetic retinopathy and blinding disease. By screening early, the disease is picked up so early the treatment is rather simple. If treatment is delayed to allow for a vitreous hemorrhage and blindness can occur, sometimes it cannot be cured, and it's much more expensive to treat. So our unique solution goes into the patient's homes. It captures the patients that are ordinarily missed. It files a report, and the health insurance companies now are very tuned into reimbursement issues and saving money, so they actually will pay reimbursement to do the screening tests now. And I found with their analysis that they save money by doing that, by not having to wait till they have tremendous complications. And our initial results are very good. We have not rolled out across the whole country. We're active in four states. Thanks for that great overview. I wanted to step back to the more general question. Just because of your background, I think you're going to have a really unique perspective as a physician who's jumped into health information technology. From your perspective, what has been the impact of health information on the medical practice and then maybe on the economy in general? I'll talk about the economic impact, which I think has been very good. As a result of the government funding everything through the HITECH Act about seven or eight years ago, the federal government pumped close to 20 to $40 billion dollars into the health information technology field for IT, and I think it's been a huge infusion of cash, and it's really it's a booming industry right now. On the medical side of it, there's a couple of pluses and a couple of minuses. 
Well, I'll talk about the minuses first. On the provider side, there's been some resistance to the EMRs because they're really not perfected yet. And they have really affected the workflow and decreased the efficiency of medical practice initially by about 20%. Even though the government pumped this money into it, they did it at a point where the EMRs were not mature. And they still are not at the point what the government wants them to do. In order to get the funding incentives that each doctor would get, which is roughly about $40,000 to put this new EMR in, they had to meet certain reporting requirements, which very few EMR could do back then five or six years ago. So vendors have had to do a lot of catching up and bring their EMRs up to snuff. And then CMS had other requirements for meaningful use. They have these requirements. EMR record has to report certain information to the government in a format that's readable. So all the practices have to attest to this to make sure that it works before they get reimbursed for their IT systems. It's a kind of an onerous, laborious process on the part for the providers and the hospitals. The bigger groups are doing it pretty well because they have the resources to do it. The smaller practices have a major problem in accomplishing that to end. So it's been, in that sense, a minus. On the plus side, I think it's an excellent clinical tool for recording data. And I think that's going to be very useful for patients. Patients will be able to go to a hospital portal or to a medical practice portal and look at all their medical records, download their records, have it downloaded to a USB stick and take it wherever they want. So that's a big plus, I think, on the patient side. There's really a lot that's happened. It probably would take me half an hour to discuss everything. Absolutely. You know, one of the big topics on my show, and me in particular as a host, has been telemedicine. I have had over 40 interviews with providers of all sorts of telemedicine. So I'm really interested to understand your success rate of telemedicine. How are users adopting it? How are they taking to it? What are some of the challenges you're finding? Well, one of the biggest challenges initially was lack of reimbursement. However, I think the payers are catching up. Medicare now has a billing procedure for telemedicine, which is going into effect. A lot more people are using it. Another stop thing has been rules, jurisdictional rules. The states, classically, the medical boards have control of who gets licensed and who can practice. And telemedicine kind of falls into the practice of medicine. So the regulations are running hard to try and catch up what the real picture on the ground is. That also increases the limitations in terms of our current people who practice telemedicine can only practice it within the confines of their states. There is one state, Florida, which has some legislation as we speak that's going through the legislature where they're passing a law saying that anybody who's licensed can practice telemedicine in Florida. So it's becoming more of a standard of care in medicine, and I think it's about to break loose. I think that cat is out of the cat house or the, the horse is out of the barn. I think it's on the way. And I think most people that have tried it love it. Most of the platforms are very well designed. They've thought time to think this out. And people can go in portal or they can be on their telemedicine thing. The information is captured. It can be put into the medical record now and shared. You've given a great example of how the regulatory bodies aren't really keeping up with the innovators in terms of the states not really understanding the value of telemedicine as fast as we'd like to see. Are there any other places where the regulatory bodies are falling behind and they're inhibiting either your growth or growth of better medicine as you see it? One of the big things is wearables now, remote monitoring. Right. There's an issue there because a lot of the doctors with lock devices approved by the Food and Drug Administration. And I think there's a lack of capacity to do that. I don't think the FDA can possibly keep up with that. 
especially in terms where it's a remote monitoring device where treatment is being based upon the results. So I don't think we have enough information to even know what's going on in that venue yet. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, one of the other big topics we talk about on our show is interoperability. What's your perspective on all the disparate electronic medical record systems for providers, pharmacies, insurers? Well, that's one area that I know a lot about, unfortunately. (laughs) That's a deep dive there. I got involved with interoperability back when it began, when the Office of National Coordinator for Health Information Technology was first formed. They wanted everyone to be interoperable, so the government stepped in and set these standards up and figured out the deep IT of how these different systems were going to talk to each other, and they set up a standard. And the problem was there was a great deal of resistance to meeting those standards by the vendors. And even after the vendors put it in place, there was more resistance from the users. In fact, that's one of the reasons we see meaningful use, is the physicians, in order to get that incentive, have got to attest to the fact that their systems work. They have to submit an actual uh, claim or an actual report showing how their system works. And the Medicare is supposed to be testing that to see if it really does. And they have to go through this whole process to actually be eligible for the money. And a lot of this money has already gone out. It's been parceled out a little bit at a time, but some of it's gone out, and they really don't know whether it's been used or even if it works. So that whole thing with meaningful use is in a stage that's changing. They've done away with meaningful use, and they did some legislation to get rid of the sustainable growth rate to cut down the increase in Medicare costs. And they merged a whole new thing called MACRA and MIPS, and that's another story in itself. Absolutely. We could probably have a whole show on MACRA and MIPS. The final topic I want to quiz you on, and I really do appreciate your perspective on all these as a physician and as somebody who represents an innovative company, but it's big data and predictive analytics. What's your sense of how big data and predictive analytics are going to impact the future of medicine? Well, I think predictive analytics is going to be a thing. That's going to be a go. Big data, I think we're getting a lot of data but I don't think we're going to know what it means, and I don't think we'll have the resource to actually analyze it and know what the numbers really mean. That's my summary of big data and analytics and predictive modeling. I think predictive modeling is here. I think the insurance companies and the managed care companies are already into this or ahead of us with their algorithms. Yeah, I agree with you, and we have a couple of regulars on our show that do predictive analytics, and two years ago they started with their first use case, you know, had a sepsis use case, and then it was a readmissions use case. And they're doing, you know, they're saving lives with uh, predictive analytics, and that's exciting. It is. I tell the story all the time that 25 years ago when I had to make the decision that uh, when I was at Anderson Consulting, which which line of business I would go in, whether it was healthcare or consumer products, I chose healthcare because I thought that I could make the impact then that we can now make with using things like predictive analytics. I didn't realize there was 25 years of infrastructural work that needed to be done in healthcare. Yeah, well, you certainly you were certainly precognizant, Joe. You, you were 30, 30 years ahead of your time. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that I wanted to mention about what's going on with HIT and telemedicine is I think there's about to be a huge revolution in medical education, much like happened with the Flexner Report many years ago. I think the medical education is drastically revised because of telemedicine. I think a lot of the schoolwork is not going to be done in the class. It's going to be done outside the classroom, at home, all over the place. And then I think the physicians and the medical students are going to learn to accept and use telemedicine as a regular tool 
in terms of devices and uh, seeing patients, diagnosing and treating. I think it's going to open medicine up and it's going to explode it. And it's going to make it much more effective and we'll be able to address the huge number of patients with different things if it's legalized. And I'm hoping that there's a consumerism in healthcare that drives that legalization because it doesn't make any sense that we're restricting doctors across state lines, especially for someone like me. I live 30 miles from the border of Florida in Alabama, and the fact that doctors can't cross state lines just doesn't make sense. Right. I think that's going to disappear. I think it could possibly lead to federal medical licenses. I think that that's where we're going to go. I think consumers are starting to demand it because I know any patient that I've talked to that's been in telemedicine loves it. They want to know why they can't do it for more things. Again, I really appreciate your perspectives on all these hot topics, but I think our audience will want to hear what's next for Heal Pros. What are you guys cooking up that you're going to bring to market, either products or services that your customers are going to get excited about in the last half of 2016? Well, our first big step is to nationalize this thing. That's going to be quite an effort. It's basically cloud-based, so it shouldn't be too hard to scale it. Our main feature really is always about the people. We need to have good ophthalmologists do our scanning, to do our readings. We need to have good technicians, photograph technicians out in the field. And I think the important thing, you know, is patient experience. The patients need to be happy. And all along in our process, we have QA. We have QA going right down to the nuts and bolts of the photographer in there in the house. We get a QA report from the patient for each incident, and we keep all these metrics because somebody's going to want to look at this stuff. So ours brought in to get the QA up to snuff and make it an automatic process. I think our thing is to attract the right people to read the films, the right photographers to provide the service, and also to influence. And we need to get the insurance companies on board fully that will reimburse for this scanning. And we've worked that out well. We have several major companies, including United Healthcare, that are on board. That's great. And they will actually reimburse us directly for patients who need scans. We do not want to interrupt the normal patient-doctor-ophthalmologist relationship. We're very careful to be focused on non-compliant patients. And when they send us metrics, this is the data from the insurance companies. They say who has diabetes and who hasn't had a screening. They send us that information, and we make every effort to contact them to get the test done. Good deal. And as we wrap it up here, before I let you go, where can people go to learn more about the great work your team at HealPros is doing? We have a nice website. It's just been redesigned. It's www.healpros.com, www.healpros.com. Perfect. Dr. Levin, it's so great to have you. Thanks for stopping by and sharing your great wisdom with us. Well, thank you for asking me, and it's been a pleasure. It's been our pleasure for sure, and that wraps this broadcast. On behalf of our guests, Dr. Gary Levin, I'm Joe LaBelle, and we'll see you soon on Intrepid Healthcare.